Poetry On Air with Sheboygan Poet Laureate Lisa Vijos. Hello and welcome everyone. This is Poetry On Air and I'm your host, Lisa Vijos. And we are here today with our guest, John Tully. John is on the staff at Mead Public Library, which is the host of our show, as a matter of fact. Um, and John is a musician and a visual artist and, and a lover of poetry. And part of what we do uh, at Poetry on Air is, is show how it is that poetry can engage us and lead us into conversation. So we're going to explore that a little bit today. And I want to start out by asking John a couple questions. Um, can John tell us a little bit about how it is that you first found your way into reading poetry? What what drew you to poetry? Well, thank you for having me. Um, honestly, I think that... Uh, I only came into reading poetry really in the last several months. Um, working in a in a great place like this, there's words all around. I've been aware of poetry a long time, and I think as a music lover, uh, certainly been aware of song structure and uh, rhyming. I uh, was exposed early on through theater to Shakespeare, which can be um, challenging for people as well as me. <laughs> And, um, but just recently have a, a new friendship with somebody who, um, was reading a lot of poetry, somebody with a traumatic brain injury and poetry was something that was easy to digest for her. And so, um, I started looking into poetry again for that reason, cause I was very curious and, um, through our correspondence, we started reading poetry to each other oh, how great. On, the, on the daily and, uh, it took. It was slow at first, but really, what I discovered was that uh, a lot of it did resonate with me, mm-hmm. and some of it didn't, and that was okay. And I think that was the. Uh, that's where I kind of have honed in mm-hmm. to what works for me, um, just through trial and error, really. And Wonderful. Picking things up off the shelf here and there, and yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like an exploration. Absolutely. Um. So you brought a poem today, and I think. Instead of asking you what it is that made you pick the poem, I'm going to have you just read the poem to us first, okay. and then we can talk about what some of the um, the things in it that were that drew you. So, so go ahead and introduce the poem and share it with us. Okay. Well, this was uh, this was kind of a full circle for me. This is uh, Shakespeare's sonnet. Um, it's just an old paperback. Uh, <laughs> And this is sonnet number 77. (laughs) And so speaking of uh, tongue twisters, (laughs) here's some Shakespeare for you. Number 77. Thy glass will show thee how thy beauties wear, thy dial how thy precious minutes waste. The vacant leaves thy mind's imprint will bear. All of this book, this learning, mayest thou taste. The wrinkles which thy glass will truly show of mouthed graves will give thee memory. Thou by thy dial's shady 
stealth mayest know, time's thievish progress to eternity. Look what thy memory cannot contain. Commit to these waste blanks, and thou shalt find those children nursed, delivered from thy brain, to take a new acquaintance of thy mind. These offices, so oft as thou wilt look, shall profit thee and much enrich thy book. Wow. So something that really helped with this digesting this is that there's a little um, synopsis on the page across. It, it actually goes through and describes some of the words. Yeah. But um, I'm just going to read this as well because I think it's it's sure. important to maybe bring people to a um, modern times here. It's a little more digestible. <laughs> a mirror will reflect your beauty's decay, a dial how your time is passing. The blanks of this book will hold your thoughts, which may cause you to read in the glass the inevit inevitability of death and in the dial how inexorably, inexorably, Right? Inexorably. Yeah, sounds right. Time passes. <laughs> Whatever you fear to forget, write on the blank leaves, and you will find that your thoughts improve on a second reading. The more you regard the glass and the dial and their lessons, the more profound will be the thoughts you record in your book. Mm. Okay. So we're dealing with a mirror and a watch. Mm hmm. Uh, and and, and a, a journal and blank pages. Yeah. Right? Right. Um, I think that I found, I have this amongst my pile of, of other poems. And so mm -hmm. once in a while I'll open these and try and find something relevant. Yeah. And I think you and I had talked about this show mm -hmm. and I read this and realized that it was essentially mm. talking about the process of reflection and writing. Yeah. Um, yeah, very so, much. So that was kind of, uh, and I, I don't know, something to me just spoke to me about this idea of, uh, well, literally the reflection, right? I mean, yeah. we're talking about literally seeing our, seeing time pass. I think particularly in these times as we, uh, as we do age and mm -hmm. our parents pass, we reflect, life goes on. Mm -hmm. Um, this idea of notating mm -hmm. these things to refresh our memories and, and, um, I think in some ways, even f I, I've know I've looked back at my own writings and found revelations there that I didn't see when I wrote it, or I see patterns there. Um, so that's, yeah. those are some those are some thoughts on Shakespeare's Sonnet seventy seven. That's nice, and it kind of um, you know because time is passing, because we're aging, because th everything keeps moving taking the time to make the notation and write write something down and keep a journal and it's all part of the process of kind of um you know recording what's happening um recording your life keeping yourself um connected to who you are so uh -huh. and it it actually um this is a little bit different, but you know, one of the things we want to do is kind of go back and forth with some with some poems. And um, so, as you were talking a minute ago, a poem of mine jumped into my head, and I thought, let me share that one. Okay. So, we'll do this. This poem is called "Cloud Reader." Remember when you were small? Before you read words, you taught yourself to read clouds. 
You'd lie on your back for hours and never tire of the stories the clouds told. There was the one about the dragon, who became a three-legged elephant, and another about a thin-bearded man who chased a fat lady so far across the sky that they became a herd of buffalo, and then a fish who leaped to his last breath from a pinky-purple sea. You thought you'd grow up to make a living at it, reading clouds, not knowing that cloud reading is a thankless task left only to children and dreamers. Good days those were when reading clouds was your bread and butter. Um, I love the notion of like, I often think when I'm looking out at the landscape, the clouds, the, the bare trees against the sky, that there's messages there like there's could be like a whole language of branches and grasses and things and we don't know what they're saying but if we look long enough we might discover something (laughs) so anyway it's a little bit it's a little bit of a a stretch away from what you shared but there's something about this notion of like noting observing noting and keeping you know getting it down on paper Whatever that message is, I think is is important. I think something that speaks to me about what you just shared is is um, or something about the poetry that I've been reading in general captures that essence of the joy of of I mean, as as children, we're, mm. we're full of so much joy, right? At because we don't realize that there's no future in reading clouds, right? Right. But at the time, it's just it's, it's the best thing ever. Right? Yeah, <laughs> and and I think that the uh, that's something that I've really enjoyed in some of the more modern uh, poetry I've been reading is the reflection that can go back that far. The feeling of, of oh, rolling yeah. down a hill, or the feeling of the grass and the dirt and the and yes, uh, the creek and and just the elements yeah. of. Yeah. Do you find it at all off-putting? Like in reading Shakespeare, there's so much thee and thou and wilts. Right. Does that is that a a block at all for you? Oh, or totally. How do you totally. get? How have you gotten past that? Well, honestly, that I mean, obviously, the 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 description helped. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, anytime I go and see or involved in a live in a in a Shakespearean play, I mean, the first five, ten, fifteen minutes. <laughs> It's literally like not only and and there's I, I believe they're set up this way you know introduction of the characters luckily the costumes like oh he's wearing red and so yeah. they must be related and, right and eventually you kind of like you just it's like walking into a pool slowly you, and you submerge yourself into this and and yeah. by the time the things get going you're just taken up by it right there's a rhythm to the action as well yep. that spells it out so hmm. I mean this sonnet made more sense once I knew. The meaning, you know, particularly the vacant leaves thy mind's imprint will bear. Well, what are these vacant leaves? Right. They're blank, when, they're blank pages. When you first hear the word leaves, you think of leaves in Absolutely. a tree, right? Yeah. And it's like yeah. leaves. What kind of leaves are we talking about? <laughs> yeah. Well, and then there's times where like, you know, think of vacant leaves are is fall, right? Sure. I mean, maybe, does, maybe there is. A, it definitely you know. resonates in both directions. Sure, yep. sure. Yep. But, uh, well, of course, in the very next line, and of this book... This learning mayest thou taste. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, 
I guess I was more attracted to hmm. uh, the richness of the 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 language, and mm-hmm. I mean, and it's fairly simple when yeah. you look at it compared to a full on play. Sure. Um, he definitely encapsulates a thought or a kind of a one notion into the into the sonnet form, yeah, which yeah. I think is lovely. And so much so that we're still still uh, dissecting it all these years later, right? I know. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So. again this is lisa vijos and we are here with poetry on air a new program of mead public library in sheboygan wisconsin and our guest today is john tully and john and i have been talking about poetry um, and some things that resonate for us and why we enjoy poetry Uh, we were just talking about shakespeare and i think now i'm gonna we're gonna move on and have John share another poem that he's been finding interesting of late. Um, maybe tell us about this next poet and um, introduce the poem that you're going to read. So one of the things that uh, happened to me as a kind of a, a bit of an addictive personality is I get into <laughs> something and then I just get as much of it as I can. So nice. I first got into um, Mary Oliver was kind of my introductory poet mm-hmm. um as she is for many people yes she's wonderful that way and mary was, oliver yeah and then i ended up like every time i go to a goodwill or a thrift store or anywhere i'd just be looking at the poetry selection and mm-hmm. so a lot of these they're literally just that they were in a poet there and and um some spoke to me better than others mm-hmm. and and uh so this is uh stephanie marlis hmm. and uh she's the winner of the um, Brittingham Prize in Poetry, and I think she's out in California. Okay. I did kind of look into her a bit, um, but this is a book from the 80s, I believe. Let's hear it. And um, this is called The Light All Inside Them. Quietly, like a sailor whistling alone on deck, I walk to the back of the house, turn on the light, then shut the window The last handful of wind on my face wakes me up. I write to my father in Buffalo, who sleeps the same light way I do. I see the snowdrifts cresting in waves against his dark red house, his same thin bathrobe hanging on the closet door. Blood, I say to myself. Always the arc of the diver is luminous, and so it is with the wind and light. The bottom of the ship glides over the ceiling where I can see more clearly as if the room were lit by a fisherman harvesting a hundred thousand fish as they swim toward the light, bright and sexual. Hmm. Interesting. What was it about that poem that grabbed you? Well, it's not just that poem, but in particular, uh, a lot of her poems, there's an imagery there. Um, 
and I think we, you and I had, ha- I had mentioned this in some of our early discussions is sometimes I see a, a, a circular theme Mm-hmm. Where where a, a poet will come back to something, and in this case, um, I love that first line: "Quietly, like a sailor whistling alone on deck, mm. I walk to the back of the house, turn <laughs> on a light." That in it, that really captured me right away. That Just, image, yeah, quietly like a sailor whistling alone on deck. <laughs> That's nice, and then. As also, and, and it's funny because I, I think this imagery comes from youth for me, uh, which kind of comes back to your poem of, uh, water and mm. the light through water. And I used to go snorkeling as a kid on the chain of lakes. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of that whole last sequence, the bottom of a ship glides over the ceiling where I can see more clearly as if the room were lit by a fisherman harvesting a hundred thousand fish as they swim toward the light, bright and sexual. Um, Hmm. What is the sexual part? Why are they bright and sexual? Well, (laughs) think about when you think about a school of fish, uh, teeming fish and the light coming, I guess there's something I don't know. Is it the harvest? I'm. I'm I don't really know. I mean, I, yeah. That's a mystery to me too. Mm-hmm. But yet, mm-hmm. um, for me, I just I can so much have an image of being down there and seeing yeah. that light through the water and the yeah and this idea of. I mean, she places the boat on hmm. the ceiling. The bottom of the boat is on the ceiling. Yeah. And I guess what what struck me was this quality of light. Yeah. That really spoke. She to makes me. it kind of visceral. It's like yeah. you can you can sense it with your yeah, whole being. Yeah. So interesting. So and and yeah. I found that to be fairly consistent. Um, and I think actually I think that's something I look for, uh, mm, or that mm-hmm. I've found is that is is the kind of the visual elements that come up yeah. with the pairing of words. Yeah. Let me share a couple. This is from a book. Um, there's a group of poets here in Sheboygan called the Grand Avenue Poetry Collective. Mm-hmm. And um, there are seven of us in this group. And uh, we, the person who kind of started the group, Dawn Hogue, she's got her own little, uh, uh, her own press called uh, Water's Edge Press. And so she created an anthology of poems by our group, and it's called The Aging Poems. And each of us contributed about five or six poems to the to the book. And I want to read a couple poems by my friend Georgia Ressmeyer. Georgia lives here in town, and um, she writes wonderful poetry. And, and Maybe this touches a little bit on this idea of imagery and physicality. Anyway, it's called, the poem is called Not Soon, Not Yet. Restless autumn will not stand and wait. It will fly off the branch as bird or leaf will rustle to the wind's erratic lurch, amplify its stay on earth. I too will crunch and crackle, sway, escape the limb, not let the snow already feathering my head become a goose-down quilt to tuck me in. With flocks of leaves I will go, skipping through the town, see the sights, scrape the ground, not fall softly into winter's nest, not yet, 
Not soon, not yet. I jumped ahead there. Not soon, not yet. I think it's such a beautiful, you know, the leaves are falling, the snow is coming, but I'm skipping through town like the leaves on the wind, and I'm not, I'm not resting quite yet. <laughs> I like that. Well, and isn't that true of, I mean, the work's never, not done in the fall. You know, when the snow flies, we're kind of finishing it up. And mm-hmm. I, I do, and actually, it's funny because here, here we go. It's like a poetry slam. Okay, um, let's hear what you've got. What <laughs> this came- is a short one. <laughs> and what I like about this is it is Mary Oliver, but uh, oh, good. something in that mm. was like, boom. Yeah. And you'll hear it right away. Okay. Because I, I, I think that with, with the fall weather and... and, and uh, there's a, not only a, there's this cr- crunchy texture, mm, mm-hmm. but also the sounds that come in the fall. And I love that about the skipping. You know, you, you can totally like a, yeah. a leaf skipping on the road, right? Totally. You know, yeah. Especially in, 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 in mass. This is Milkweed by Mary Oliver. This is from Dreamwork. Mm. The milkweed, now with their many pods, are standing like a country of dry women. The wind lifts their flat leaves and drops them. This is not kind, but they retain a certain crisp glamour. Moreover, it's easy to believe. Each one was once young and delicate, also frightened, also capable, of a certain amount of rough joy. I wish you could walk with me out into the world. I wish you could see what has to happen, how each one crackles like a blessing over its thin children as they rush away. Mm, It's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. But that's that crackle, you know. She mm-hmm. that talks about the crackle. Um, yeah, I um, crisp glamour. It's interesting how often we think of poetry, or or that that it's inspired somehow by a by a visual thing, you know, that it's like a of of something you see. But I took a workshop once with the poet Anne Waldman down at. Uh, Woodland Pattern in Milwaukee, the the mm-hmm. book center down there, mm-hmm. and she encouraged us to write poems that were based more on sound oh. than on like on than on a visual a visual. And I'm somewhere. I have the poem. Oh wait, it's in this book. Just a minute. Okay. I have a poem that has to do with that. Based on sound. Well, I think the, I'm just going to jump in real quick because mm-hmm. I think there's that's really what I've discovered mm-hmm. is by reading these things aloud. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really was the joy and the gift that came to me in this um, situation I mean, where I'm actually reading poetry to somebody mm-hmm. is to, um, to 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 have the words come to life as opposed to just reading them to yeah. to actually form the words and. And so it totally makes, yeah, the yeah. sound of the vowels. So Yeah, so this this was, the poem is called What I Need Right Now. And then I dedicated it to Anne Waldman. What I need right now. I need a poem for tomorrow. For tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow after that. I need a poem that sounds like my voice and sounds like your voice and sounds like the voices of everyone everywhere, the cacophony of everyone everywhere, and the sound of seagulls. Certainly you have heard that sound of seagulls. You hear it by any body of water. 
you hear it by anybody before you see him soar. Usually the beach is empty. The beach is empty but for one woman with a bag of dried bread, and the gulls soar and circle and make that sound, that sound that marks the beginning and end of every vacation, of every vacation you have ever had. A happy sound, a sad sound, depending on when you hear it and which way you are headed, like this poem for tomorrow, headed nowhere other than tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow after that, where I wake up and find my voice and find your voice and find the voices of everyone everywhere and the seagulls that cry, stay, don't go, stay, don't go. A sound poem, kind of. It's a very, Sheboyg- a very Sheboygan sound poem. Yes. <laughs> not that there are not seagulls elsewhere. Well, but. I know. <laughs> it's funny. Whenever I go anywhere, I mean, after I after I thought of this poem and wrote it down, it's like I can't go anywhere now and not hear seagulls. You know, I mean, some places don't have seagulls, but right. there are a lot of places that have yeah. seagulls. And it is a very evocative sound to me, and it can be very sad. Or it can be kind of like full of, you know, expectancy and something fun is going to happen. So that was what, that's what I found interesting about the sound was that you could interpret it quite differently depending on your perspective, what you were doing. So anyway, we are um, coming toward the end of our time today. Um, I think this was a, this is going to be a wonderful program that we're going to keep exploring and looking for, uh, conversations with different people who will come in and share their thoughts and their, their favorite poems. And we'll do some backing and forthing and want to thank you for being here today, John. Thank you, Lisa. And I'm, I'm just going to interject here too, is like how, would people get a hold of you? Do you have an email that people can? Um, I do. My email address is, I have, um, yes, they can reach me at Poet Laureate at Sheboygan at gmail.com. I'd like to wrap up real quick here with this. Um, this is from Charles Wright, and it's a book called Caribou. Okay. Poems and... Um, This is from 2014. This is called Things Have Ends and Beginnings. So this is to the end of our very first show. (sighs) Nice. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh Cloud mountains rise over mountain range, silence and quietness. Sky bright as water, sky bright as lake water. Grace is the instinct for knowing when to stop and where. Hmm perfect way to end thank you thank you we'll see you next time you have been listening to poetry on air hosted by sheboygan's poet laureate lisa vios questions or comments can be directed to lisa at poet laureate sheboygan at gmail.com Poetry on Air is produced in the studios at Mead Public Library in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. More information on the web at meadpl.org.